You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Another very, very warm, humid day again uh, for us. A very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme with John Paul taking calls 0818 103 103. The texts and WhatsApps are also there 0862 103 103. And I think the whole of the country, I think, came to a standstill and kind of went, ah, isn't that so sad when the news broke yesterday of the death of much-loved uh, frontman of Aslan, uh, Christy and obviously the tributes have started to pour in from the moment that the news was broken and it was the singer's family who confirmed the news that he had died peacefully, he had died at home and he had died surrounded by his loved ones. Actually it was his daughter Kira. She put a post up on Facebook to break the news to the country that Christy had uh, passed away and she put on the post he died after a courageously long fought battle. And she then went on to ask for the family's privacy and to be respected as she said what is an immensely painful period uh, for them and she said let us all hold him in our hearts and cherish the remarkable life of a talented singer a great storyteller and an amazing person and then she went on uh, to thank everyone for the love and support they'd shown not just to Christy but indeed to the entire uh, family and of course it was back in January that Christy's family came out and said that he was uh, receiving palliative care and he was being looked after at home by the family and by a palliative care uh, team so People have kind of been expecting the news since January, but by God, did he put up uh, some uh, fight. When you think about it, he was diagnosed with that. It was a very rare blood uh, disorder, a very rare form of blood cancer. And that was back in 2013. So he's really battled courageously for the last uh, 10 years. And in a very short statement yesterday, the band, his band Aslan said they were beyond devastated to have lost not just their band member, but also their friend, Christy, that they've had so many years of sharing their lives uh, with. And then President Michael D. Higgins, he was he led off the tributes of the country yesterday to Christy, saying that Christy and the bandmates had made an enormous contribution to the cultural life of our nation. He said people across Ireland and beyond will have heard with great sadness the death of Christy Dignam. Over recent years, the president said, all of us have been struck by the dignity with which Christie has lived with his illness and admired his dedication to continue to both perform and to record. You know, and he cited, when you have to think about it, just two years ago in 2021, Christy Dignam released a solo album despite all the challenges which he was facing. And it's kind of hard to believe the president said that he has actually left us and that he has uh, he has died. And most people would almost have given up with the type of diagnosis that Christy had. And there was periods where he was very unwell and he wasn't able to tour and he wasn't able to record and he'd have to take time out and he did take time out and he'd recharge the batteries again and he'd come back out again and do, you know, more concerts and more performances. Louis Walsh said Christie was a real talent. He said he had a great career in Ireland, uh, which is a hard thing to do. And he, he quoted songs like Crazy World and This Is will go on forever. They're, they're, they're anthems and they are anthems of this country. He said everybody knew him and everybody liked him. Never got carried away by his uh, fame, which Louis Walsh said is unusual in the music industry. He was just a normal 
Dublin guy with a great talent and his songs will be remembered for years to come. The script, the band, the script, they said they were devastated to hear the news about who they they described as our friend and hero, Christy Dignam. They said we were blessed to share the stage with Aslan in Dublin. We've lost a legend, one of a kind and her thoughts and prayers are with the family. Singer Brian Kennedy said the news was just so sad and he said the only comfort to be drawn from his death was that the, his cruel cancer journey is finally at an end. He said what a joy it was to spend time with Christy, sleep the long sleep and rest in the deepest of peace. And he went on to express love to all of Christy's loved ones. And the teacher, Leo Varadkar, he paid tribute to uh, Christy in a public comment after a meeting with the Luxembourg Prime Minister. He says the singer was a legend of Irish music and he was a great Dubliner. He said somebody who whose loss will be solely felt in his hometown and also in the wider community. And it was in April that Christy Dignam said he planned to squeeze every last drop out of life until his heart finally uh, stops. And he actually did an interview with Ryan uh, Tuberty where he said back in April that he'd had a brilliant life and when it was good, it was absolutely uh, amazing. And actually, the Cork High Hopes Choir, uh, whose members, of course, are all made up of the homeless community and the volunteers who support them. They have very fond memories of meeting up with Christy Dignam, who they saw as their idol. He was performing at Murphy's Rock Bar. Uh, when he met with the High Hopes uh, Choir and of course the High Hopes Choir had adopted Aslan's song Crazy World as their anthem in recent years and Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners of course coordinates the choir. Uh, She's speaking to Sarah Horgan in the Echo today and she said he spoke to members of the choir telling them that what they were doing is an inspiration to others and to each other. Uh, She said uh, Christy was humbled by the choir's uh, support and Crazy World has now become the most requested song in the Cork High Hopes Choir repertoire and Katrina said us singing that song while he was sick was our way of saying we're with you Christy and she said I think everyone in the country wanted to let him know just how much he was loved and she said the choir will continue to pay uh, tribute to Christy for the rest of their lives after making his hit their anthem for homeless ra- rallies and they will continue to uh, sing that song. So rest in peace Christy Dinklem. A couple of people are, are pointing out when they heard me mention uh, in particular that Leo Varadkar had come out talking about what the legend that was uh, Christy Dinklem and other political figures have uh, come out you know, talking about the loss it would be to the Irish music uh, industry but a number of people are pointing out including uh, Anthony as much as he'll be praised by the political figures. He wasn't supported by the state with the COVID payment scheme. In his own words, he was going to have to look at driving at a takeaway food uh, place. And that was back in June of uh, 2021 in the height of COVID when all of the restrictions uh, were in place, particularly the restrictions that were in place for the live music acts. Everything was shut down. How many times did we speak with uh, entertainers? 
during that time who made the point they were the first to have to stop work and they were the last to get back out uh, to work. So it was in June of 2021 that Aslan, they were actually refused the state payment. Remember the payments that was made? It was it came from the Department of Arts and Culture. They allocated 25 million during COVID times under what was called the Live Performance Support Scheme. So Christy and the rest of the Aslan band members applied for that and they were refused. And he said at that stage, he was down to his last 300 euros. He said, I'm 40 years in the music industry. We're renowned as a working band. That's all we do. We tour Ireland. He said, I haven't worked in 14 months. I did everything the government asked me to do. I cocooned. I stopped gigging. I did everything right. And then when I apply for this grant, we've been refused and we're not even allowed to appeal. And he did say at the time, um, I'm going to call up to the local Chinese uh, Chinese yesterday to see if they needed a delivery driver. The poor, poor uh, love. And that was 2021 when he was, you know, already on his, well on his uh, cancer journey. And Jim says, RIP to Christy Dinklam as he lost his battle with cancer, bravely born for 10 years. And his wish, of course, was to walk his daughter Kira down the aisle. And at the time he was very, very unwell. And he actually thought he'd end up having to walk down the aisle or be pushed down in a wheelchair. But no. Christy, strong as always, he did walk her down the aisle and, and I've, I've, I've seen photographs, there's a lot of photographs in the paper and there's photographs again being shown of uh, Kira on her wedding day and Christy was very unwell, bless his heart, but he did walk her down, down the aisle. Anyway, back to Jim's text. Jim says, I saw on TV this morning that they said U2 was the biggest Irish band worldwide, but Aslan was the biggest Irish band in Ireland, which Bono agreed with. And Noel Gallagher of Oasis once was asked in an interview, what what song did he sing when he was drunk? And he said, oh, every time it has to be Crazy World. And when Christy Dignam heard that, he jokingly said that Noel must have sang that song more than he did. <laughs> he was brilliant in a concert with Aslan, says Jim, who often saw him in the Highland in Newmarket. He was also a very humble man a very hard working band uh, who who Jim said I heard recently practiced in a converted pig sty may he rest in peace says uh, Jim and I read that earlier that that's they, they used to when they were first starting out and when they were writing songs and when they were getting the band uh, together it was a pig sty uh, a converted pig sty it was somewhere up near Dublin airport and um, that's where they used to uh, rehearse well great great songs and great great music came out of that pig sty for sure Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. Now, unfortunately, right across the country, many of our main streets have vacant properties, which sadly can become neglected and then they give a very bad image to the area. So a suggestion for other businesses to use the shop windows could be an answer. The idea has come from Cork County Councillor Sean O'Donovan, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Now, I think this is a really, really good uh, suggestion. Just outline how you would like to see it operate. Well, I suppose at the moment, Patricia, as you know, you, you drive through any main town or, or village, for a matter of fact, um, and the windows are either newspapers on them or they're, they're painted or whatever. The, the shop is vacant. So what, I, what I'm calling Park County Council allow, to allow is um, the windows be dressed with products from shops around the town or um, just to make a display, it's supposed to make the, the windows more attractive to to the, the locals and to people passing through the town. It just it just makes sense that you know some cur- some windows have curtains on them. They look more like funeral homes than shops. So 
Um, I, I had I, I saw I saw that you made that comment, and it made me think. It, it some of them do look like funeral homes, you know, they particularly do. when they've got the big draped uh, curtains. But it seems there's an issue around rates. There is. So the the Cork Council are saying that if the window is um, occupied, I suppose that the the premises is occupied and it's then liable for rates, which I think is very unfair. And that's the why you had a motion in for a meeting on Monday calling on Cork Council to allow the windows to be dressed and the premises did not be liable for rates. Because it would literally only be the window. The shop would still be locked. Nobody would be accessing it except whoever goes in to dress the window and then they lock up the door and it's just the window. People are looking in the window. Correct, that's it, yeah. And I think to just really enhance our towns and, and villages, you know, if, if the windows are full rather than empty. Um, I suppose it begs the question, we just had the, the uh, Eucharistic procession on Sunday, so lots of empty shops would have had dressed their windows. So, yeah. You know, and like tidy towns groups and different festivals would use shop windows for displays of prizes and all the rest of it. So technically they'd be liable for rates if, if that was if that was the way, you know. So I'm just trying to get around that and, and um, get a clearer picture, I suppose. So hopefully, hopefully it will work, you know. And would the businesses have to pay rent for the window or how would that operate? Well, no, I suppose, I mean, um, if if you're charging rent, I suppose, you know, you're making profit from the window, so then you would be liable for rates and you'd be li- liable for other taxes and all that. But it's, ju- it's just, you know, letting a shop next door or, you know, somewhere in the town display something for maybe short term or it could be long term that they change it every month or something. That, but it just it makes the town more viable and, mm. and, you know, more bright, you know. Well, it would certainly smarten up the premises. So, I mean, to me, it would be a win-win for the town. It would. It would be incredible. And like I suppose every town, I think, in our main street in Bandon, we have, I think there's maybe 12 at the moment. And if all those windows are dressed, I mean, it would make the town very vibrant, you know, and it make the town look a lot better. Um, the same for every town, you know, every main street. Uh, like, look at Patrick Street in Cork City. Yeah. All the empty, vacant premises there. So if all those windows are dressed, it would just make the town look a lot better, you know. You've, you've said there's 12 vacant properties on Main Street in Bandon. At the moment, I think that's what it is, yeah. Wow, that's a lot yeah. of, of uh, vacant now, premises. No, one, one has just been left, but there's a new business open on the Main Street. Uh, Great. Down towards the end again, so... But you see, I think as well, if the windows were dressed and, and you know, it, it, the shop almost looks, looks lived in, I think it might actually encourage somebody to look at that premises and think, oh, that might be suitable for such and such a business. Absolutely, yeah. It would, absolutely. You're dead right. Um... It would make it look more attractive, as I said, and it would help the business on either side of it and as well because, you know, it's just not another blank window that you're ignoring going down the street. You know, you'd be looking at the displays in the windows. So, What reaction it, did you get at council level? I got good support from my colleagues. Um, so I suppose the executive, I've asked this, this motion to be sent to the Economic Development, SPC, um, which it will be sent and hopefully that they'll be able to come up with some solution to allow the windows to be used. Because did I read somewhere that Councillor Deirdre Kelly had actually received a bill for, for something similar. That's correct. Uh, Councillor Kelly has um, just her photograph and her contact details on a window in um, a residential building in Demanwe Town in the square and she got a rates bill for, I think, over €1,000 or something for that. Oh, you know, so. wow. Wow. And that's exactly the kind of charges you're talking about that could happen for, yeah. for, for other shops. Have yeah. you ran your suggestion past business owners? I have, and, and yeah. they're very, very, um, very happy with it. Um, it. It just makes sense. Nobody can see why a window shouldn't be dressed, you know, rather than being left vacant and empty. Yeah, and it also, I think, makes sense that they shouldn't have to pay rates. 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you're not you're not profiting from a customer going into the shop. You're yeah. just using it as a display. It's a bit like taking out an ad in a paper, I suppose, really, you know. That's that's the same kind of effect, you know, that you're just displaying products. You're not selling from the window, you know. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we're always talking about how buildings can, can go into dereliction and be, can look so unkept. And it's so unfair, I always feel, on the if you have a business stuck in the middle of two shops that, that have closed and if those buildings then are just to let, you know, they get yeah. so unkept looking. Whereas if you've got a business who've got their items in the window, they'll keep the windows clean. They'll make sure that the area around that shop front they will, like, and I suppose at the moment in the Bandicoon Sale area, we have our, our, our paint scheme open for businesses and, and um, private houses in the town. So, okay, they'll paint their shop front and do up their building, but the window will still be blank, covered mm. in newspapers or something. So, if, if if you know display products were in there from another shop, it would just it would just make so much more sense. Yeah, somebody says there are buildings on North Street in Skibbereen. Very depressing to look at these vacant uh, buildings. I wish they'd do something about it. Uh, your guest this morning, who's Councillor Sean O'Donovan, has really good intentions. I wish him luck with it. Somebody, this person says, go up to Ken Mayer and have a look at how well they are keeping their town. I don't know what Ken Mayer are doing with their vacant buildings, uh, but it definitely is. And as somebody else is saying, uh, well done to Councillor Sean O'Donovan. We need to do something about vacant uh, buildings. Buildings. Okay, all right, listen, keep us posted on this, uh, Sean. It looks like there's a lot of interest in, in it for sure. And uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good thank morning you. to you. Good that morning. is uh, Councillor Sean uh, O'Donovan um, out of West Cork. 0818103103. I forgot to mention, yes, and I can see somebody texting in saying, you're doing the Cork Summer Show today. I am indeed. We're the media partners for the Cork Summer Show, which is on this uh, coming weekend, 17th and uh, 18th. And we have this wonderful family pass to give away. Uh, today's winner gets entry for two adults and two children. They also get lunch, four lunch vouchers from O'Connor. Crowley's on-site restaurant along with some soft drinks to wash it all down and there's even some free amusement ride passes uh, thrown in as well later on today on the programme I'll be giving you a question about a Cork place to visit during the summer. And if you know the answer, we'll be getting you to text our WhatsApp for your chance to win to go along and enjoy Munster's largest outdoor food uh, market, horticulture, cookery demonstrations, farm animals and lots, lots more. Tickets, by the way, are available on CorkSummerShow.com. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want Great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Now, AA Ireland has called for tighter regulation on e-scooter use on Irish roads before what is described as the potential for a tsunami of incidents involving e-scooters. Paddy Cummins, Head of Communications at AA Ireland, uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Paddy. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome uh, to the programme. Now, for those who perhaps didn't see it, describe the footage which appeared online last weekend from the, uh, Dublin's M50. Yeah, it was alarming footage that was sent to me first by journalists on Saturday where there was an e-scooter user travelling at certainly not 25 kilometres per hour. It looked like it was, um, he was keeping up with the, with the speed of normal traffic in the M50 and weaving in and out of lanes. Um, so... It was obviously causing a distraction to other drivers, but he was also putting himself at fairly perilous danger. So, yeah, alarming to see. Um, look, again, it's an outlier. This is, 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 is poor behaviour by one person. But what it did do is highlight a couple of issues. One is that, you know, we are on the cusp 
should be announced in a matter of days, Patricia, the legislation in relation to e-scooters to make them legal because currently they're not legal if you you know they're it's yeah. been tolerated but there's no law that allows them um so we will see that coming on but what we, we don't have is we don't have clarity yet on whether a helmets will be mandatory which we believe should be because these things are, you know can be dangerous um and also be there's if there's any sort of registration process for people just to be able to at least identify who is on them because as that incident saw but other incidents as well from the likes of the Irish Wheelchair Association, the National Council of the Blind, they're, they're constantly telling us that they're having incidents with their members being hit by uh, e-scooters and, 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 you know, older and more vulnerable uh, people on, on footpaths have been hit by them. Um, and also the users themselves, there's been fatalities in that as well. So I think what we hope to see in the next few days is, uh, is uh, some legislation that will ensure this happens, but we, we just don't know yet. Yeah, I I certainly know from this programme's point of view, Paddy, we constantly get complaints about e-scooters on footpaths. But I mean, because there's no laws, where should the e-scooter be? Well, it certainly won't be on footpaths. The, the 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 idea will be that they would be, you know, potentially on the road, but in on the very much on the inside of the road, um, in bus lanes and the likes of that, cycle lanes. Um, so it would be, uh, it, you know, footpath is not the place for the nor is it for a bicycle, mind you, either. But mm. um, what we've had is just that unusual grey area where. There was no legislation to to say that they were illegal, but no legislation to say that they were legal either. So uh, we had that grey area, and that, that's been the difficulty. We will see, once the legislation comes in, we'll see a raft of new companies coming in who will rent them on short, short-term uh, loans, uh, and, and that can cause its own problems, as we've seen in other countries, because they can often you know, be left on the street. People can trip over them. And um, we'll also see just an increase in volume of these being used and the potential consequences of that that we're seeing where um, where there's collisions. And it's it's more often than not, it's the use of themselves that is at the most danger. We've seen reports from certainly Connolly Hospital in Dublin. They did a, a quite a, a big report showing what sort of injuries they were seeing. And a huge percentage, I think it was 25% of the injuries that they'd seen happened to people who are, had been in the first two weeks of ownership of one of these. It's getting and used also, to it, yeah. yeah. So it's the novice users. And also an interesting thing, Patricia, the average age of the people injured was 38. Oh. So it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't uh, as if we were looking at, you know, these were these are 12 or 13 year olds who, again, shouldn't be on them. But the average age of the injuries was was 38. So there was a, sco- a big range of people on these. And um, and unfortunately, even even the other week in Dublin, we, we had a fatality um, on one of these. And it was it was a head. It was no one else was involved. It was a, it was a head injury. So no, um, without so a helmet. Where, where, yeah. And do, yeah, do, do we know under the proposed legislation are half are helmets included? Well, we don't we don't know yet. It's it's this is something that um, I, I've heard discussions and whispers, and you know they're always dangerous that they won't be made compulsory. That it'll be an advisory. But um, I think the difficulty is that they don't. There's a if they make them compulsory for these, do they have to make them compulsory for e-bikes? Then are, have they to be compulsory for regular bicycles? The likes of Spain and, and Denmark have compulsory use for helmets for um for e-scooters i just think you know at this point where we are at a stage of bringing in the legislation they are they do behave differently to normal bicycles or even e-bikes 
you know, for the safety of everyone, I think it would be wise to make sure that that helmets are mandatory. But we'll know. We will know in the next day or two. Yeah, I it's when they, when you're getting the when they're putting the legislation put it in place correctly and, and you know cover all the angles because I do think you make an interesting point uh, about these e-bikes e-scooters not being registered and that's the one thing that caught my eye with the guy on the M50 you had no way of identifying who that person was because there wasn't any form of registration on it I mean that's got to be looked at well, that's it. Uh, you know, I did contact the Guardian during the week about this and, and they said that they actually hadn't had any official complaint um, on this, which at the time I'm sure seemed unusual. I don't know whether that, that situation changed since. But again, if someone is on one of these, they generally have a sort of a mask up over their face uh, and this is no way of identifying them. And, and places like the Netherlands, they have introduced that. Now, in fairness to the rental companies, uh, you know, and those will come on stream. There's a there's safeguards in place for those, in that they have GPS systems on them, which actually wouldn't allow the the, the scooter to a go above 25 kilometers per hour. B, it wouldn't go uh, work function on the M50. It would have it would have, it has a sort of a geo zone where it wouldn't work on a footpath. It wouldn't work on a on the M50. And in certain areas, it would reduce the speed to 10 kilometers per hour, such as you know if it was a, a slightly pedestrianized area. So there's a bit of there's safeguards in place for the rental companies so you know we, we would look cautiously at those but it's the unregulated ones i i was sent a link yesterday by someone actually from one of the rental companies who showed me a scooter that i was you could buy online that did 85 kilometers per hour oh because that was the one thing when again going back to that video at the weekend i didn't think an e-scooter could reach those kind of speeds yeah, the difficulty is, is that they can uh, they them they can chip them. I'm told, so that you can be in situations where the regular ones can have the restrictions brought off them. I mean, even myself, I did a quick, very quick YouTube search, and there's you know several videos showing you step by step on how to the restrictions on them. So that is a that is a challenge. Um, but I what we I suppose. Once we once we see the rental companies come in, that will safeguard that. But there does but that's only need to be on the ones. Done. But that will only be Paddy on the ones that are rented. On the on the private buying of, yeah. and then it, we're losing. Power. Whereas everything, um, everything will will rest then on um, whether there's there's enforcement in place on these as well, which is another challenge. Okay, and then a number of people are bringing up about insurance. If God forbid there was an accident involving a new an e scooter, they don't have insurance. No, they don't. There's no insurance in those, but it's it would be treated the same as as it would be for a, a normal bicycle. Um, obviously, you know, as a motorist, you you would be covered for for the for the incident in relation to the other person, but um, then for for the for the person themselves, no, they are taking um taking their own risk uh, there so so yeah it is it is a it is a potential danger now I, look i would i would hate to tar everyone with the same brush given that the incident the other day was a very very isolated incident um there will always be you know you can find another day someone walking on the m50 you can find we've heard of cars driving the wrong way down the m50 but but look i as i said before and patricia it's it's we're now at the stage of the legislation let's get the legislation right 
because it's safety at heart here we're not we're not trying to dumb down fun for people or or it's it's about everyone's safety and these can work effectively but we are seeing places like paris banning them now uh, we are seeing other countries rapidly who have been more advanced than us rapidly changing the legislation to make these to restrict these let's take the learnings from those other countries and cities and do it right in the first place. Okay, a number of people. Once you mentioned e-scooters, is one of those uh, issues that really, really gets uh, people uh, uh, talking. Kay in Maddow says, I was driving in Ennis only yesterday. I spotted a lady on an e-scooter. She had a child, no more than four, on the front of the e-scooter with her. They were travelling and weaving in and out of heavy traffic and she was moving very quickly, says Kay. Bill in Clonakilty says, I know some elderly people in the town of Clonakilty who won't go near the town centre at certain times due to e-scooters. One person nearly got knocked over with her shopping due to an e-scooter passing by so fast and someone else is making the point that they're silent so you don't even hear them coming. And Noreen in Blarney says, I was driving on the Balancholic bypass recently uh, a speed limit of 120 kilometres and there was a person zooming along on an e-scooter. I also saw a person on a normal bicycle who shouldn't be on that road on uh, a bicycle. Someone else says does Paddy think there should be an age limit on the use of e-scooters? Well, there, there's part of the legislation will be that they can't be sold um, to, to to younger uh, people, but the the actual enforcement of that is going to, uh, they've said themselves, is going to be unworkable. So it, it's, you know, your 12 or 13-year-old shouldn't be able to go in and purchase one. It, it, would, it shouldn't be used by anyone under 16, but uh, they've unfortunately since said themselves that the enforcement of that is probably going to be difficult or enforceable you you know look at any housing estate uh, you know my own or you down in cork you'll see them as well and there's kids the kids have been you know parents are buying them for kids uh you know 11 12 13 and they're flying around they're driving into any housing estate at the moment you have to have your wits about you because you can come around a corner someone a kid can come around a corner on one of these at speed and and look who's going to be who's going to be at fault if a uh, if there's a collision or, or, or serious injury. Yeah, Claudia says her son made her confirmation this year it was big business uh, for the e-scooters, the amount of children. And she says children as young as 12 buying e-scooters out of their confirmation uh, money. Uh, well, that's, that's down to the parents. Yeah, but, you know, it is. You have, yeah. It's, it's, you have to have the tough you know, the tough, tough statement on that one because uh, these some of the injuries that we, I've read about on these are, are pretty horrendous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, before I let you go, I have to say to you, I watched your the YouTube piece of the Dublin commute test that you did. There was six yeah, of you involved. It was, it was really very well done, by the way, and very well put together. Just to explain to listeners what you did, there were six of you involved. I think you pulled, you pulled the, I don't know if it was the short story or not, you were to walk. I, I quite like walking. In. It was okay. a sunny day. If it was a cold day, I might have uh, I might have pulled rank and taken the car. But um, no, we, what, what we did was we 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 crossed Dublin city centre um, at uh, rush hour on a Tuesday after the bank holiday, and we travelled by bicycle, by um, e, by yeah, it was an e bike, by car, on foot, running, um, and by bus. So various different modes of transport, and then one of my colleagues ran as well. So. Um, it was a it was a really interesting test, uh, and and it showed that crossing Dublin city centre, walking I was last, but I was only last by by ten minutes. The yeah. car was fifth, and um, yeah. the motorbike was first by journalist Dave Humphreys, just followed by the the, the e bike, the the sort of slightly electric powered bicycle. Yeah, and um, she she actually passed out the motorbike a couple of times. 
Yeah, 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 it would be, it, and, and very possible. So, yeah, so it showed. Look, there, I suppose the point of it was really to say, look, we are, um, what you know, what are the options here, and should you be looking at other options? And certainly, if you're crossing the city centre, uh, there are better ways to do it. Now, we have had requests from from Cork and Galway to do the same since. So we will we'll be definitely down in Cork. Um, so I might, uh, I might be asking your t- your listeners tips on what are the tricky uh tricky places to negotiate mean, oh, well, we'd love that we we would love that and actually um uh, Blake on your team who was driving in the car you you could sense his frustration I mean he came in second last on the commute but you could sense his frustration of being stuck in traffic well the thing is is uh, as we did that the Tuesday after not the last bank holiday it was the bank holiday before and on another day he would have been last because we've sat in the car and, you know, we, we've driven that route before and it's taken us an hour and seven minutes and I walked it in 55. So uh, he, he was actually lucky. On another day, he would have been last in the car. Unreal. It was unreal. It's very, it's well worth seeing and it's up. Um, You can you can see it on YouTube. It's, it, it, it's well worth the watch. It, it really is. Listen, Paddy, pleasure as always. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks a million. Take Good care morning to you. Yesterday on the programme, we had calls in from people who were having difficulty getting through to the Mallow office of Cork County Council at Annabella. And we tried to ring and we were getting it. It just sounded like the number was uh, disconnected. I, was, <laughs> I jokingly said, had they paid the bill? I'm sure they had. Anyway, we got on to Cork County Council by email asking them could uh, what was going on at the Annabella office. So we got an email back to tell us that they are the phone lines are currently down at the Annabella Regional office in Mallow. The council is working with the service provider to rectify the issue as soon as possible. But they say in the interim, if anyone is trying to get through to Cork County Council's regional office in Mallow, then you can do it via email. And their email address is MD at corkcoco.ie. That's MD at corkcoco.ie and they are advising people keep an eye on the council's social media channels and as soon as the phone lines are back up and running they will let people know. And can I just stay with the council issue for a moment Uh, because earlier in the week Tom in Cove contacted us and it was to do with the problem that he was having with Cork County Council. He explained to us that his home had been retrofitted by uh, Cork County Council and as part of the retrofitting all of the houses in Tom's estate were also getting their houses painted, the outside of their houses painted but all of the houses were going to be painted white and Tom isn't happy about that. He wants the original colour of his home reinstated. Now he did get on to the council, we, we weren't the first that he got on to he got on to the council but he didn't hear anything back so he got on to us to say could we find out what was going on and what would happen and you know why would the council not paint the house the colour that Tom wanted, that he didn't want his house uh, painted white. He's been back on to us this morning because he still hasn't heard back from Cork County Council and I've checked in with John Paul. They, and in fairness, the council got back to us and said they're looking into it and we're waiting for them to get back to us. So it's not that they have ignored us or ignored Tom's uh, plight. He's got back to us today and he said he's going to go on rent strike until Cork County Council paints his house the colour he wants it painted and the house, the the colour it was day one. He doesn't want the white colour. And when John Paul pushed him as to why he was so against the house being painted white, 
he feels the fact that all the council houses in the estate are going to be painted white. He said it makes the council houses stand out from privately owned homes and he feels that's discrimination. So he feels that every time somebody sees a white house, they're going to say, oh, that's a council house. And he thinks that is a discrimination. Now, I do have to say, when we brought Tom's plight to air on Monday, and I don't know if Tom is going to be happy to hear this or not, there wasn't a lot of sympathy for Tom. There was a number of people who are living both in council houses and in private houses who said I'd love to have my house retrofitted and I'd love someone to come and give the front of it a lick of paint regardless of what colour it is uh, and brighten it all up and uh, clean it all up so there wasn't a lot of sympathy but does Tom have a case the the house was an original colour I think it was some kind of an autumn blend or an autumn tone he called it at the time Uh, should the council abide by this is the house that Tom is living in should the council agree to the colour that he wants and he wants the council to paint it Uh, by the way it's not that he wants to paint it uh, himself Uh, and you know what how do people feel about him feeling so strongly about it that he's going to go on rent uh, strike Uh, your thoughts welcomed and again we did put it out on Monday to see had anybody else living in a council house had they managed to persuade the council to change the colour that they were initially going to paint the house and I have to be honest we didn't get anybody back saying yeah they won they actually won that battle actually to be honest we didn't have anybody say that they objected to the council painting their house they were just glad that the house uh, was being painted so your thoughts welcomed on that 0818 103 and then there was an email in this was a follow on to Alice who had joined us on the programme on, was it Monday? It was earlier in the week. Um, Alice Coyle, she was the lady from Galway who joined us. She was scammed. She unfortunately clicked on one of those text messages that she thought was from Electric Ireland saying that she needed to update her bank details. She did um, update her bank details. Then she got a phone call from somebody purporting to be um, um, Andrew at her bank. Of course, it wasn't. It turned out that Andrew uh, was also a scam artist and she lost 10,000 euro and it was a huge, huge sum of money. So Lisa in Cork said listening to your programme and I was so sorry to hear what Alice went through. A similar situation happened to me, albeit for much less money. Mine was in the hundreds but still hundreds, Lisa, it's a lot of money. It happened to me with my Apple account on my iPhone. I have one word of warning for people. Never ever Google the Apple customer service support number because that's exactly what our Lisa did. I had a whole bunch of charges on my Apple ID account and I Googled the number for Apple support to get them reversed. What I thought was Apple I mistakenly rang that number. It turned out to be a scammer in India. They had me on the phone for at least 40 minutes until eventually I started to think something is really off here. I was so ashamed and embarrassed that I fell for it. I just want to let people know that if you do need to contact Apple, never Google their number because unfortunately the scam artists have worked that one out and the, the, the number that comes that pops up is actually a scam. You contact them in writing either through your Apple ID or, or on your phone. Uh, thanks for the great work and that's for Lisa in uh, Cork. Yeah, and, and don't be ashamed, uh, you know, and we hear that all the time from people who just get so embarrassed and that's why it's one of the reasons that we we asked Alice to join us on the programme. We wanted her to speak out. We 
wanted other people uh, to hear her story because a lot of people have been caught out by these scam artists who are really good at what they do. It is their full time job. They are professional scam artists and people get embarrassed and they don't report. And of course, the Gardaí are saying they need to hear as many of these reports as possible so that they can try to follow uh, and link everything together and hopefully one day try to catch some of these uh, criminals. And then Trish has been on to us also by email. Uh, you email Cork today at c103.ie and this is an issue to do with passports. Um, Hi Patricia, I, has anybody else had this problem, please? I sent off for my passport on the 24th of May. My photo was successfully uploaded online. I then did a tracking and was told the estimated date for my passport to arrive to my house would be the 9th of June. A few days later, I got an email saying, sorry, problem with your photo. So I submitted another one and again, ticked successfully online again that the photo had been accepted. Started to track it again. The new date now for my passport to arrive was the 19th of June. I've just now, this is, was on, sent on the 13th of June, I've just now received another email saying my photo is not right and I need to submit another one. So my query is, why did they say successful when the photo got uploaded and then I've got to wait a few days or a week to receive an email to say that the photo is incorrect. And by the way, said Tricia, I have uploaded a photograph which failed. So I thought once you got the tick, it meant it was successful and everything was okay. Could you please ask if anybody else has had uh, similar problems? And when I was reading down initially through Trisha's text, that's what I thought the problem was. I thought, oh, you know, the photograph wasn't right. And it was only when they went to review it, they realised the photograph was wrong. But no, because when you upload it, it goes through a series of kind of little tests itself. But obviously it's when it visually then gets inspected for some reason. It turns out that the photograph is uh, wrong. It does seem very, very unfortunate that uh, this is now your third time that you will send off the picture. I wonder, and I'm assuming that you're taking the photograph yourself, which... I've done it. We've done it home as well and it's always been successful. I wonder, would it be worth your while going in to some photography place that does the passport photographs just to make absolutely sure that your photograph is going to be right and next time? Because it's very frustrating and I don't know if there's an urgent date on the need for you to have your passport back. Because most people say to us when it is simply... Uh, when you're renewing a passport, most people say that service works so well. Once all the information is uploaded correctly, you have it back within very, very short uh, period of uh, time. So anyway, we'll put it out there. Has it happened to anybody else that uh, uh, two attempts uploading a photograph, it ticks to say that the photograph is okay. And then a period of time later, while you're waiting for your passport to arrive, you get an email saying, oh, sorry about that. Photograph is incorrect. Please upload another one. If anybody can offer advice to Tricia, please do. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. C103 Jobs. The Hibernian Hotel in Mallow, they've got a vacancy for a full-time receptionist. CVs, please, to the attention of Tracy um, to info at hibernianhotel.com. Ashgrove Renewables based in Mallow. They're looking for a solar PV salesman. It's to cover the Limerick and Clare areas. 0818 626 A trainee bicycle mechanic slash sales advisor. 
is wanted in Cycle Scene Bike Shop, they're placed in Blarney Street in Cork. Email cyclescene at gmail.com. And a cashier is wanted for a betting shop in Mallow Town. It is a, there's a part-time permanent position. The applicants must be over 18. Call Anne at 087-243-8616. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Court today on C103. Now, an anonymous online platform where survivors of sexual violence can share their stories without fear of being trolled or sued is being launched this week by the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre to discuss the We Speak initiative. I'm joined by Sarah Monaghan and Sarah is the Consent Project Manager with the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. How important is this for survivors of sex attacks to be able to tell their stories? Yeah, well, we think it's incredibly important. I suppose we know from the most recent CSO data, uh, which relates to, to sexual violence, that over half of women who've experienced sexual violence and over a third of men who've experienced sexual violence within their lifetime have never told anyone about it. Um, so there is still, I suppose, a lot of, of silence and a lot of, of shame um, there, which people may live with for their entire lives without speaking to anyone about it. And so with this new We Speak platform, um, we're hoping to create a space that is safe and is secure so that people can share their story, you know, albeit anonymously, but they can take the time to write in their own words and, you know, in their own time and safety and comfort of their own home or wherever that might be, what happened to them and the impact that it had. And it's that they can also um, visit the site and read other people's stories. And, and this is the part I think that is really really crucial in that kind of healing journey and in that 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 that, that um, steps after an experience of sexual violence is that you can relate to other people's stories. Very often when we and uh, when people call our helpline, the the first thing that they'll say is that they feel so alone, that they mm. feel so isolated and they feel that, you know, nothing like this has ever happened to anyone else. Um or, you know, people have a very very immediate instinct to minimise what happened to them. And so we will often hear people say, oh, it wasn't that bad, or, you know, I don't know why I'm calling. You know, I've often heard of worse stories. You know, maybe I should just forget about it. And I think seeing a, a collection of stories in a, in, a, in a platform like this should should help people and support people, empower people to realise that no matter the specifics of their story, no matter those, those specific details, it is important and it had an impact on them and, and it deserves to be to be shared and to be heard and, and to be to be, you know, respected and understood in that way. So I think it, it provides, you know, just a new space for people to, to find some of that. I think that, it's brilliant. That, I, that, I, that I really do think it's a it's a brilliant uh, initiative. And I think people will be shocked by that stat that you mentioned earlier that, you know, fifty yeah. percent of people have never spoken to anyone about it. I know, I know. It's that it is shocking. Um, there's absolutely no way way around that. And you know, I suppose in the work that we are doing now, we hope that 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 will lessen over time. That we are changing as a society. Um, you know, our 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 own We Consent campaign is all about that. Is about starting these conversations about sex and relationships and consent um, and sexual violence because we're not very well versed or or used to having them. You know, traditionally we we haven't had a lot of talk about 
anything to do with the realm of sex and either the presence or absence of consent. And so a lot of people don't find it easy then um, when something does happen, something something negative and, and something really awful happens to them. They find it difficult to open up. Um, so, you know, hopefully maybe for people who've never told their story, they may share it on this platform and that may help them to share with others. You know, mm-hmm. they may, 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 may then talk to a family member or a friend or a partner um, or even they may, you know, it may open up a way for people to share other people's stories, you know, um, you know, with a friend, you know, over WhatsApp or whatever that might be, because these are all anonymous stories, so, you know, it's safe to do so. But it could be a way to just start, start that conversation. And yeah, say, did you, did you, did you yeah. see this? You know, um, uh, God, isn't that awful? Or or to say, God, something like that did happen to me. And I suppose what we're seeing already, um, even in the first 24 hours of, of the site being up, is there's a broad variety of stories. You know, there are stories that are, I suppose, what we consider very, very serious, um, that they are related to rape and sexual assault and criminal offences. Um, and then there are stories related to, to, to other offences. Um, it might be sexual harassment in the workplace or it might be being grabbed or touched in a pub or a club or, you know, any yeah, kind of setting yeah. or even catcalling or just being harassed in, in any way. And it, it's great to see those stories also coming out because those are the ones I think we normalise so quickly, you know, as it's just a part of life that that just happens, you know, and that's often often genders that women think that's just something that happens, you know, when you're a woman in the world, but it happens, um, of course, to men as well. So I think opening up all of that for people is really important so that we think a little bit more about what we accept as normal and what we, we should perhaps not accept as normal. And, you know, I and, and I love the fact, you know, that you talk about in, empowering uh, people because I take it by sharing uh, their stories. It'll help to uh, remove shame, even though there should be no shame. This, you know, this is a person who yeah. wasn't to blame and therefore shouldn't be carrying any of the shame around with them. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, no matter no matter what happens in, in that um, experience, uh, no matter any of the factors that were involved and you know people talk often about so you know I was I was out late or I was drinking or I was I had taken drugs I was wearing whatever none of this matters you are not to blame regardless of the, the specifics of that experience you know that other person involved or persons are to blame and, and that is this was the end of it in that regard but yes I hope seeing you know, people all over the country anonymously sharing their experience will start to chip away at some of that shame because it's a very deep-rooted shame I think we have um, in this country and in many others that that really is, is, is tough sometimes to get at and I think seeing so many other people's stories, um, you know, we'll side by side like that will help. Yeah, uh, well, is this, is, uh, am I right in saying this is the first of its kind, this initiative? Yes, it's, it's the first of its kind in Ireland. Um, there are others across the world and it was, we started this uh, project by doing a deep dive of, of all sorts of different sites across the world. Some of them like this, some of them a little bit different, some of them are more like chat platforms where people can communicate with each other, which was absolutely not something that we wanted and it's not possible on this site because we wanted to be able to ensure people were safe and that they wouldn't be bullied or trolled or, or harassed any 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 further. Um, and so we found an American site called Our Wave, um, who we have collaborated with in building We Speak. Um, so they've uh, been operating a site very similar to this for about six years now. And so we were able to learn a huge amount from them. And um, it's been a, a really great collaboration in building something that's custom built for Ireland and for our legal system and for our, you know, security and, and, and everything that, that was required to do it here in Ireland. Okay, and just to explain how, how the initiative works, you go on to the website. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, 
you that's right, sorry, so you can go on to the website at weSpeak.ie okay. um, and it will welcome you, first of all, with a, a grounding exercise so that just gives people a minute to catch their breath and if they just want to settle themselves into the space before they post. And then it's, it's quite user-led, quite intuitive. It'll take you through a number of steps where you can share your story. It also invites you to share a message of, of, of around your healing and what has helped you along, along the, the way. And then it also invites you to share a message you'd like to share with another survivor. Um, and then you can give a name to your story or you can leave it anonymous and then we just we just uh, put a, a number on it. Um, and then when you submit your story, it comes into a back end of the site. So it doesn't immediately publish. It comes into a very secure back end where a team of trained moderators within DRCC review each story um, and we redact and remove anything identifiable. So that might be things like names or locations, it could be universities, organizations, uh, specific dates, even anything that we feel could identify the survivor or anyone else uh, mentioned in the story, we remove and then we post it online. Well done. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Uh, we speak uh, dot IE. And it also struck me, Sarah, when I was thinking about this uh, yesterday, when sexual abuse happens within families and, and, mm. and unfortunately that does happen um, a lot, unfortunately, in this country, sometimes other family members won't believe the um, uh, the survivor. So this is an initiative I think that could really help those people. Yeah, and now what I will say on that is that at the moment we can only publish stories from those over 18, um, okay. which is not to say that abuse doesn't happen Um when people are over 18, it absolutely does. Um, but for the for the minute, we can only publish stories uh, from those over 18 and we can't publish stories related to child sexual abuse. Okay. And that's just to keep us in, in, in line with our Children First um, guidelines and child protection um, legislation here in, in Ireland. So for anyone visiting the site, that's made very clear at the beginning that this is, is at the moment for, for uh, stories related to those over 18. Uh, which also, you know, does happen, and we, we, we often hear about that with, within families um, of, of those over 18. So in those situations, I think, you know, I think for anybody who thinks that they don't have a direct experience of sexual violence, it's worth visiting the site, you know, to, to uh, educate ourselves and to yeah. build more understanding and empathy. And, you know, some of the stories, of course, they are difficult to read, but I suppose this is the reality that's happening around us every day. And statistically, you do know somebody, everybody knows somebody who has experienced sexual violence of some kind. So that is a person that you love and you care about who may never have told you. So I suppose it is, you know, imperative on all of us to, to learn a little bit more about each other's experiences so that we could, you know, support people. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Others that they ever come to us. Okay, good luck with the initiative and, and everybody who takes part in it, uh, Sarah. Thank and you. thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. 
Thanks, Good morning to you. That is uh, Sarah Monaghan, who is the Consent Project Manager with the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, and they've launched this week We Speak.ie. 0818103103. John Paul is taking your calls. By the way, this uh, Friday, as part of our Hours to Protect initiative that we kicked off last week, we're going to be hearing about the UCC Green Shoots initiative that's on how to make our gardens more environmentally friendly, how to start introducing organic planting into the garden and uh, where to go if you would like to join a community garden group in uh, Cork and that's all happening on this Friday at 11.40 here on Cork Today. At last weekend's Raise the Roof March in Cork City, Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners spoke about the loss of five rough sleepers on the city streets over the last number of weeks. Katrina joins me this morning in advance of a fundraising concert by the Cork Youth Orchestra in aid of Cork Penny Dinners and in a moment I'll speak with the conductor of the Youth Orchestra, uh, Tomás McCarthy, but Katrina uh, joins me firstly. Good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, Patricia. And uh, you're welcome. Firstly, can I just say, I was really taken aback by your your speech at the march uh, last weekend. There's never a lot of publicity when a homeless person dies. Why is that? No. It's because of the families to preserve. I mean, they're in the height of pain, I suppose, and just to preserve their dignity that, you know, that it, it should be, you know, family and family sort of only like it's they're going to bury their loved one uh, who they love very much. And um, it's just it's just to give them a bit of, I suppose, dignity, really. That's why there's not, um, you know, stuff about it. Yeah, yeah. And you would know, you would have known a lot of these people in that they'd be in and out to your service. Yes. Are these, are yes. they, they people what, living just without hope? Yeah, they are. And they've been, you know, they've been homeless for quite a while. And some of them would be in addiction and they can't get treatment. They can't get into centres. We just don't, well, the treatment centres that we have are all fine. There's nothing wrong with anything that we have, but we just don't have enough in place for to help deal with all the people that are no in addiction are all the people that are homeless. There is nothing there for them. There's no chance of them getting a place and there doesn't seem to be any hope, you know, down the line for them either. And I think it's despair and despondency and a lot of people, they're just roaming, you know, they're roaming in their heads, they're roaming around the city and you know, like if you're at home and if you're tired, you can tear your legs up on the sofa, you can go up and lie down your bed. Like, but if you're in the street and all the same things happen to you, like, you know, and probably even more, they have no place to throw themselves down only on the street. And these are somebody's son, daughter, brother, sister, daughter, niece, sister, nephew. yeah, they once and they once and they once had a normal life. Yes, absolutely. You know, nobody was born an addict, you know, as such. Like, you know, and, and, and no mother would have wanted or no father would have wanted that for their for their child. And, um, you know, it affects the whole family. So I suppose when people die, the only thing that we can offer is our comfort, you know, our condolences, but also like let let the family have their dignity too mm. in, in, in when, when that happens to them. So it, it's good that it's not... Out all over the place, but yeah. at the end of the day, we but must it's happening. forget that it's yeah, there. But it's, it's happening. happening. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I think caught a lot of people by surprise when they yeah. heard there was five. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, God, may they all rest in peace. And and you know, we very much think of their their exactly. families and and what their families because a lot of those families, Katrina, would have tried desperately to help oh. their loved one. Nobody wants your loved they, one like that. You know, 
they all come from lovely families and they all come from families that love them. It, this this happens and it, it plunges the whole family in, into a, you know, into a darkness that it's very hard to get out of. And if it ends with somebody dying, well, then that's the ultimate price paid for everybody. But the family are still left to grieve, to hurt, you know, to wonder what if. And, and, and this is where I say, you know, when young people are going, and I know the five people, it, it, when young people die, uh, you know, um, God, like, why isn't there extra effort being put in to prevent this from happening? We have to do something, all of us together, to help them. They are, they're all saying they're looking for help and they'll take it if they get it. But when they don't seem to be able to get it, then they just continue in their spiralling life. And it, it leads to nowhere for them, only just... You know, they just get older on the streets and they get very tired of the streets and, and, and they just feel that no hope, no place to turn to. And they may have, you know, like the families would have done everything for them. There isn't a family out there that hasn't done anything to help their son or daughter. They they all run to see how much they can do, you know, to, to do what they can do. And, and sometimes then like the... the the family have to, you know, become estranged from the person who's using because, you know, they, they can't be in the family home for, and yeah. we all understand why. Mm. Like, it's not as if the family has made, you know, a, 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 the ultimate decision there. That family is living in hope and praying that, that, you know, that their son or daughter will get help. So they're constantly trying to do something. And if not, they're, they're wishing and praying and hoping that they can help turn their lives around in some way. But, you know, it's just not happening. We just don't have we don't have the centers for to deal with the, the numbers that we have at the minute. It's as simple as that. And, and we we are not going we're going to lose more people because we just don't have the treatment centers. So as well as treatment centers, we need step down facilities for people and people like some people come out of some treatment centers and that night they have to cure outside Simon after a couple of weeks in treatment. That's crazy. Like, how is that going to get them back on their feet? Yeah. How is that going to help them turn their life around when they're going back in to what they've tried to come out of? So it's there's a lot of things wrong and we need to put a lot of things right. And then outside of what's going on with the, the rough sleepers, you're seeing, Katrina, at first hand, how the lack of housing is impacting on uh, families. And you've got, you know, a few generations of the one family all trying to yes. live in the one house. Is yeah. that is that situation getting any better? No, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And people have to take their family members in because where are they going to let them go? They can't let them go to the streets you know and they take them in and that strains then the whole lot because obviously there's overcrowding one in the house and then there's you could have a grandmother kind of ending up with you know a granddaughter and her children and her partner and, and that's difficult like you know age-wise like you yeah. know where's the grandmother should be able to but they do it for the love of their children their grandchildren you know look we have some people taking in their mothers and fathers who are elderly now like because they might have been in a rental place and they now have to leave it so it's kind of a catch-22 for everybody everybody's affected by it it's not affecting just one section of society at all at all it's affecting those that cannot get someplace to rent that cannot buy that cannot get a foot on the housing market in any shape or form so that's 
that's basically it. And are like, you are you still seeing you know families that end up in emergency accommodation that they end up living in yeah. in hotels, uh, for example? And and I can't even get my head round how any parents try to raise children and bring them to school and they're living in a hotel room. We all stay in a hotel when you know we go away for a few days, and you know how limited the space is without trying to think of this is where I'd have to live permanently. They don't have cooking facilities. Are you seeing a lot of no. them come through your doors? We see a lot of them, and we what we what we find as well that they're very long on this accommodation too, do you know, and it it takes its toll on all of them. It takes its toll on the mother, the father, and it definitely takes its toll on the children. And if you have teenagers, God help them, because they're definitely living a life that's far removed from the life that they knew. And then you know they have their friends, and they try to, you know, like could you imagine? A 14, 15 year old, you know, in, in one room with the mum, the dad and the brothers and sisters and they all stuck in the one room and then them trying to lead a normal life. Can you imagine the leaving yeah. certs, the, the junior certs? Can you imagine them trying to sit their exams when there's no normality to their life at all? And the embarrassment, they don't want their friends to know. The embarrassment, yeah. of course. Okay. Of course they don't. So, so the Cork Youth Orchestra uh, concert uh, in aid of your good selves at Penny Dinners, um, Katrina, uh, needed more than ever. Oh, absolutely. You know, times are getting hard enough for people. We all know it. We we hear everybody out. Everybody's coming out with, you know, that stuff is getting hard for them. So that's something that we have to look at. And it's something that the government should be looking at, not us. We're prepared. We know if we're going to get an extra 100 dinners today, we're not going to let anyone down. We're going to have the dinners for them. So, again, this is, you know, our good planning. So, again, I keep saying to the government, get your backup plans in place. We'll stop putting any kind of a plan in place now to, to kickstart what's happening out there. So I'm talking about housing. Look at the firefighters out in strike at the mm, minute. Mm. Now, they have all our lives in their hands if any of us are affected by a house fire. I was one time. And believe me, it's no place anybody wants to be. And you, you, this is where the firefighters come in and they save you and save your family. So <clears throat> these are people that we should never have to see you know, the retained firefighters, they don't Out know. on strike. Yeah, out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not right. When you look at all these things, when you see the nurses and they say they're struggling and they, you know, and when you look at all the things that are happening, our frontline people that save our lives, that keep us, you know, when we're sick, make us better. Our, our you know, if there's a fire, or if there's a car accident, like we have our frontline workers that come and attend to us, the guardie, the whole lot. And they're all saying the same thing. Lads, it's not working for us. So, like, the government should take notice yeah. and God help anybody else then that's down, you know, the, the pecking order. OK, stay like there because I, I, I want to bring in uh, Tomás uh, McCarthy, <coughs> who is the conductor of the Cork uh, Youth Orchestra. Good morning to you, Tomás. Good morning, Patricia. Good I take it a very easy decision to do this fundraiser for Katrina. A, a no-brainer, to be honest, and... Um, the last four, five, six years have, have been very tough for everybody, since the, particularly since the pandemic. And, uh, you know, we've had our own troubles getting back into action and we succeeded with the help of, of sponsors and, and companies. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate. And uh, we're also fortunate that we're, we're taking the orchestra to, uh, to uh, every four years we, we, we tour to Italy. And uh, it's like the, um, the pinnacle of someone's membership of the orchestra. And it's time to give back and we always do this. And, uh, well done, and it's I, I, in the it's I, in the city hall on Friday, yeah. the thirtieth. So that's two weeks today, it, it two weeks on Friday. 
It is, yeah. I, I had just had to go for the injection in the hospital there recently for my, for my funny knee. But uh, getting that fixed, and I was going back to the car, and I just saw two people in sleeping bags, you know, uh, on, on, a, on, a, on an out, an outline city street. And I just really, it really hit me, you know. So, uh, so apart from seeing them elsewhere, but it just, it wasn't even city centre. It was quite some distance from the city centre. So, yeah, it's very important those young people learn to give, and and they're they're they're, they're very they're very special kids, and they'll do anything for everybody. And the members, the members of the the youth orchestra, um, Tomas, they come from right across the city and county, don't they? Across the all across Cork city and county, yeah. Cork county, yeah, absolutely, it's widely the wider Cork area. How many members? Uh, only one hundred and forty-two. Only. <laughs> it's the largest orchestra in Ireland. It's uh, it's completely crazy, but it it gives so many more musicians an opportunity and uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're amazing. They really are amazing. And how many are you taking to Italy in July? All of them. Oh! <laughs> wow, that, that's an achievement. Yeah, well, it, it, it's a number of years in the planning. It's a huge logistical uh, um, operation, you know. So we're a fantastic team uh, of parents, uh, voluntary parents and it, 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 it's an everyday job to be honest. Well done. But, well done. Um, and what can people expect on uh, the Friday night in City Hall? Well, when we tour to Italy, we, we have a, a theme called Reflections of Ireland. And yeah. uh, we, we were going to be playing uh, Sean Davies' Brendan Voyage with Shane Keating on Ellen Pike. It's a wonderful piece. Uh, we're also doing the, a, a fantastic piece called The Irish Feet by Leah Anderson. There's six movements in that. It's, it's just brilliant. And we have our own piece then called Ashling, which is by Dr. Declan Townsend. It was commissioned by the orchestra uh, in 1998. Uh, with the Fiddigan's Wake by A.J. Potter. And even though it's not an Irish piece, we're doing um, a really uh, rousing piece called Dance on Number 2 by Arturo Marquez. And uh, it's just an orchestra favourite. That's kind of our encore in a way. So so it's, 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 what, it's, so it's what you're performing initially you're going to be doing in City Hall. So people will Absolutely. get... Oh, brilliant. It's That's brilliant. That is, uh, that is brilliant. Yeah. Um, we'll take it to Monte Catini and to Volterra and... and and that's in July, isn't it? It's, it's shortly yeah, after. Three, yeah. Three, okay. So, Katrina, are you looking forward to the night? Absolutely. And, you know, it's going to be a great treat for music lovers that we have all these young people up there who are so brilliant at what they do. They're absolutely fantastic. And Tomas just gets them all going the way they, sh- you know, it's just, he's incredible to watch. They're incredible to listen to. And I, I think people will have a wonderful night. And it's lovely to see our young people doing what they do but it's yeah. the fact that they're yeah. mastering their, their craft like with this music is, is just incredible they're, they're and giving and giving always. back to, and giving to those and less given, fortunate yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and Patricia the, the tickets are available on tickets.ie either 20 from 20 euro and, and so there's no confusion this is the orchestra but it's on the snowman every Christmas it's very very high standard they play to a professional level and you can guarantee that people go they're going, they're going to be delighted. So okay, long. listen, thank you for that, uh, Tomas. Good I luck with it and good, good luck with the tour uh, in it's Italy as well. And Katrina, before I let you go, I mentioned, I opened the programme by talking about uh, the late great Christy Dignam and how we were all devastated with the news uh, yeah. yesterday. He was very close to the Cork Hope Squire. High Hope Squire. Uh, do you know, uh, he, he used to sing up in Murphy's Rock and the choir used to go up and of course we'd stand in the front and sing our way through with Christy. But the way he would communicate, you know, and just look at everybody. He just had something very 
emotional, powerful about him that endeared everybody to him, not just his talent, but him as a human being. But when we did the Raise the Roof rally on Saturday, we led out the rally. And when we were going through the streets of Cork, we sang, how can I protect you in this crazy world for Christy as we sing it everywhere we go. Oh, and we that, always that's, do. And that's, but, uh, it was emotional. That's yeah. become the anthem, hasn't it, for the, for the High has, Squire? Yeah. Yes, it has, because, you know, we need... We know there are people that need protection and they need to be protected. And we try to, at Penny Dinners, do this to help people. And again, you know, we ask the question all the time, like, why isn't the government protecting its people? How can they protect us, you know? Yeah, well, you certainly do a lot of protection. And that's it. And and again, Christy will, will... will remain on in the hearts, you know, like my children know the song, my grandchildren yeah, know the song, yeah, you know, yeah. it just goes on and yeah. lives on, like, you yeah. know, and, and, it'll and Christy, yeah, and it'll live on long after us and, and that it way will. Christy will live on. Listen, Absolutely. Katrina, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for that. Keep up thanks the great Patricia. work and thanks uh, for joining us. That is the uh, wonderful, our own Cork legend. That is Katrina Toomey from uh, Cork Penny Dinners. And before, we also had uh, Tomas McCarthy of the Cork Youth Orchestra. And good luck to everyone. I hope that is a sellout show at the Cork, uh, at the City Hall on Friday fortnight, the 30th of June, with all proceeds going to Cork Penny Dinners. For the Cork Summer Show, we are proud to be their media partners this year. It's happening this weekend, 17th and 18th of June. And every Every day this week we have a family pass which will get in two adults and two children and while you're there we're also throwing in lunch at uh, O'Cruley's on-site restaurant and there's even free amusement uh, rides you can enjoy Munster's largest outdoor food market there's live music there's horticulture there's cookery demonstrations farm animals and much much more and of course the Cork Summer Show is very much a fun day for all the family with tickets available on corksummershow.ie all this week we have a question about a Cork place to visit this year and the question we are asking today name the Cork Wildlife Park where you'll come face to face with free roaming animals name the Cork Wildlife Park where you will come face to face with free roaming animals and a great day out for sure okay where are we talking about we need the answer along with your name and address please by text and whatsapp only 086 to 103 103 we'll leave the text open for about 10 minutes and then we will select our winner who will get that daily prize uh, package and we'll do it all again tomorrow Thursday and again on Friday so name the Cork Wildlife Park where you will come face to face with free roaming animals get texting and whatsapping please 0862103103. I've been asked to give a shout out to a great family group. They're known as Green Shine and they're made up of Noel Shine, Mary Green and their daughter Ellie. And they're going to be performing in Kilworth Community Centre tomorrow night, Thursday at 8 o'clock and tickets are available at the door. So good luck to everybody taking part there and going along to Green Shine in Kilworth uh, Community Centre tomorrow night. Now, I mentioned uh, earlier that uh, uh, Tom, for all, Tom in Cove has been back on to us again uh, today. He kicked us off on Monday when he asked us to mention on air that he's having problems with Cork County Council because he is not happy with the colour that they have or are about to paint his house. They're painting all of the houses in his estate white. All of the houses have been retrofitted by Cork County Council and part of the retrofitting includes having all the houses painted and Cork County Council have decided to paint all of the houses white. Now, Tom 
Tom initially got onto us because he wants the, his house painted the same colour it was before the retrofitting was undertaken. But Cork County Council are saying, no, we're doing all the houses white. He feels that by having all the council houses painted the same colour, it's a form of discrimination because he feels all the council houses will stand out because they're white and the privately owned ones won't. And Tom feels that's, discrim- that's discrimination. It's one of his thought patterns. But when he got on to us today, he is now, because we're still waiting a response from Cork County Council on are people allowed to select the colour of the house that they want Cork County Council uh, to paint it. I can nearly tell you I know what the answer is, but but let's wait for Cork County Council to uh, confirm or deny if people can paint and can select the colour of the house that they wanted painted. But Tom now is getting so exasperated by it all because he's getting no response from Cork County Council. We still haven't, we're still awaiting a response. So he contacted us this morning and decided he's going to go on rent strike until the council paint the house his house, the colour he wants it painted. Now, when I first mentioned this on Monday, when Tom initially contacted us, I did say there wasn't a lot of sympathy for Tom. Uh, But he said, no, he didn't mind. He still wanted uh, to hear people's views uh, on it. And is he right to go down the route of going on rent strike? I certainly wouldn't be advocating you going on rent strike, Tom. I really don't think that's the way to handle this. But anyway, the the decision is uh, yours. Uh, I, I would dearly love you to change your mind on that. Anyway, a flurry of texts and calls following me mentioning what Tom wants to do. Fidelma in McCroom was really angry. She said, I've heard it all now. Uh, a wallop is what Tom and Cove needs. Uh, the cheek of him for even asking for the house to be repainted, especially after he getting it retrofitted for free. Well, he, well the, part of the deal was they're all getting it repainted. He just wants it repainted the colour he uh, wants. Jerry says, if Cork County Council knocked on my door and said they were willing to paint my house with tar, I would accept it immediately, says Jerry. Someone else says, if Tom wants to paint his house a specific colour, then I suggest he goes away and buys a house of his own and then he can paint it whatever colour he wants. The level of entitlement with this story is absolutely crazy. Deirdre Bandon says, we are now living in a society where it's gone, I want, I want, I want. Can anyone not do anything for themselves anymore? Monica in Carrick Tool says, I agree with Tom in one respect, that having all the council houses painting the same colour to Monica feels is unfair and it does make them stand out as council houses. But if they wish to paint the house and the council allows the person to paint the house whatever colour they want, at the end of the day, they are tenants who are paying rent. Uh, The tenant then should be allowed to buy their own paint um, why should the state pay for everything? Well, that's one of the questions I'm sure John Paul has put into the council. We're checking to see can, if Tom is not happy with the white, I don't know if it's painted yet or about to be painted, and say it is already painted, can he paint over it in any colour he likes? I don't know if council tenants are allowed to do that. Are you allowed to paint the outside of your house any colour you want? Now, without going you know, like a mad luminous green or whatever I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that it would have to be tasteful whatever way you paint your house uh, Gary in Yall says there is a phrase and I think unfortunately it's becoming the norm in the Ireland of today and that phrase is the less you do the more you get says Jerry in Cove someone else says Patricia I actually had to check the date when I heard you call out Tom's story on the radio nope it's not the 1st of April that man is lucky that he's had his house retrofitted for free 
what a lucky man he is. And now he's having his house painted for free. Again, lucky man. He doesn't like the colour. Boo hoo hoo. Here's an idea. Tell Tom to pay somebody to paint the house himself. Well, we're trying to get clarity uh, to see if he's allowed to do that or not, because I don't know uh, if he is or if he isn't. Anyway, as I say, I did say at the very start when I called out Tom's plight again and the fact that he was going on the rent strike I did say the last time that there there isn't really isn't a lot of sympathy for uh, Tom I don't know how he is receiving that news 0818 103 103 and someone else was on to us about the budget and the fact that the government now are starting to talk about the budget. The budget will be announced in October, but of course it's, it'll be the budget for uh, 2023. Someone said, is it true that old age pensioners are going to be getting an extra €20 Euro a week? A listener said they thought they heard it this morning on a newspaper review. Well, you would have heard it been mentioned, but that's not to say that pensioners are getting €20 Euro a, a week. What's been mentioned and what's been spoken about in a lot of the papers today is that the Taoiseach, Lear Varadkar, is coming under pressure to put up the state pension by a 20 euro a week. Now, that's part of a list of budget demands that are coming into Leo Varadkar from TDs and uh, senators. I mean, for example, there's also a call for a cut on inheritance tax. There's a call for a dedicated energy uh, minister. There's a call on expanding the help to buy uh, scheme for second hand uh, houses. And a lot of this is going to be discussed this evening because this evening, the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party, which will have all of the elected TDs and senators of the Fine Gael Party, they're all meeting and they're having a special budgetary meeting tonight. So this is the opportunity for all of the TDs and senators to say to the Taoiseach Lear Varadkar, this is what we would like you to include in the next uh, budget. Obviously, there are going to be calls for, from some Fine Gael politicians for a €1,000 tax cut in the budget. Now, that particular notion has already sparked a row with the coalition parties in uh, Fianna Fáil. But there's mounting pressure now for what's been called a significant increase in the weekly state pension after former Fianna Fáil uh, min- ministers called for a hike uh, as high as €20. Green TD NASA Harrigan went further suggesting that the pension should go up by €25 a week but she is a member of the Green Party. You've got Fine Gael Senators uh, Gareth O'Hearn and her own Tim Lumbert. They're among some of the backbench TDs and Senators who are looking for at least a €20 increase to the old age pension. If you remember last year the old age pension and indeed all social welfare payments went up by €12. Euro, so they want that to go up to €20. Euro. The meeting, I'm told, according to the papers, will also hear for calls for social welfare payments to be benchmarked to previous employment. So if you were on a high wage and then you become unemployed, you would get a higher level than somebody, say, who was made un- unemployed and was on a lower wage um, when they lost their job. Tim Lombard said that the current inflation levels are so high. He said, that a pension increase of €20, he feels that would be appropriate because he said that pensioners are the ones that make sure our society has been appropriately run over the past few decades and they need to be rewarded for that. Another Fine Gael TD by the name of Alan Dillon, he says he wants slightly less. He's saying the pension increase should go up by €15. And by the way, it's also Senator Tim Lombard who is looking for 
a reduction in inheritance tax and there will be people we often hear about people looking for calls about inheritance tax tax and saying that some families pay too much on inheritance tax it seems Tim is going to in particular talk about the importance of businesses and farms when they're passed on from parents to children and the importance that that process uh, is facing less obstacles and he says he's quoted in one of the papers today is saying if you own a small business or if you own a small farm more needs to be done to ensure the transition from one generation to the other can happen and that can happen seamlessly and as smoothly as possible and he said that could happen through tax cuts but he's also going to push for a lowering of the thresholds uh, before capital gains tax uh, will kick in and the parliamentary uh, party a number of them will defend that controversial call remember it was it was an opinion piece that appears, I think it was in the Irish Independent, where three of the junior ministers came out and they were making a call for a €1,000 tax cut in the next uh, budget. So that's obviously going to be uh, debated uh, tonight. And of course, a lot of it is to do with the squeezed middle and people saying more needs to be done for the squeezed middle. And that was one of the reasons that this €1,000 was suggested. But the Fianna Fáil, members of the Fianna Fáil, uh, party uh, weren't as happy and saw it very much as kite flying. So that meeting goes ahead tonight. So I suppose after that meeting goes ahead tonight, there will be a variety of leaks, I take it, will come out from that meeting, which means we'll have a lot more kite flying ahead of next October's budget. Oh, but that's where, to that listener who said, is it going up by €20? Euro? It's not. It's just been suggested. 0818-103-103. John Paul taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. The next meeting of Donnerail for All is uh, taking place tonight at 7 and that's in the Presentation Pastoral Centre. Blarney District Historical Society, they are presenting a field trip to Waterloo. That's happening on uh, tomorrow, Thursday at 7, 20 past 7, St Mary's Church is where you meet and the speaker will be John Mulcahy. All are welcome and there's no cover charge. Tickets are on sale today at Thornhills Pharmacy and Kildallery Community Office for the Kildallery National School Music that opens tomorrow, Thursday the 15th and runs through until the 17th with tickets priced at uh, €10. Uh, Euro. And there's a fundraising dance in the CMS Hall in Newmarket this Friday night from 9pm to 12 midnight. Music is by Sheila Fitzgerald, Mike Condon, Sean Hickey and more. And proceeds are going to the wonderful Cancer Connect service. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. And You can stop texting us on our Cork Summer Show uh, competition. Huge reaction again. Name the Cork Wildlife Park where you come face to face with free roaming animals. It was, of course, Photo Wildlife Park that we were talking about. And we have made a draw from all of the correct answers. And Emily Kyohan in Passage West. Congratulations to you, Emily. You've got the family pass, two adults, two children, along with lunch vouchers and free amusement rise to head along to the Cork Summer Show this weekend. It's on the 17th and 18th. Enjoy Munster's largest outdoor food market, live music, horticulture, cookery demonstrations, farm animals and much, much more. And it's described as fun for all of the family. Tickets are available on Cork's Summer Show 
dot com and we have another of those family passes and lunch vouchers to give away tomorrow with the final one on uh, Friday. Uh, 0818103103 John Paul is taking your gardening questions now please and now obviously the text and WhatsApp is available if you've got a gardening question for Peter because he's going to be joining us uh, in this final hour of the programme so get your questions in 086 to 103 103 by text or WhatsApp. I mentioned passports earlier because I had, uh, was it, uh, oh, Trisha had contacted us because she is tearing her hair out almost uh, with frustration with the passport office, trying to get her photograph to successfully upload online. Bridget has contacted us and it sounds like Bridget had a pretty similar story to Tricia. Good afternoon, Bridget. Good afternoon, Patricia. Okay, your husband needed to renew the passport. Tell yeah. me, what, tell me yeah. what happened. So we went into Tesco's and said, Mallow, into the photo booth. Great. And we got it done there. I think it was 8.50. Okay. And they accepted it, but then they uh, emailed us back to say that the picture was, um, there was a layer off of his uh, glasses. He wears glasses. So then we were in Cork and he went to a professional photographer and that was 15 euros and he got his picture taken and we sent it off again and there was a shadow or something they said it. No, they accepted it first and then their email back to say that there was a shadow. So then I decided I'd take one on my phone Yeah. and we sent that off and he got his passport. Oh, but you see, the problem, I see, I, I don't understand and, and I know Tricia made the same point in her email. When you upload it, if the photograph was wrong, like one of Trisha's photographs that she initially uploaded, it straight away failed so she had to go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. Like a, a tick comes up to say it's okay, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. So it's when they visually check it. Visually check it, yeah. Yeah. And did you notice, I mean, you saw the photographs. Did you oh, notice? Was, the, the picture I took on my phone yeah. was, I, he wasn't as good as what we had sent away. <laughs> I don't think so anyway. <laughs> And you were down eight euro and fifteen euro. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So your advice is take take your own. We took it yeah, and we sent it off, and it was and they accepted it, and then he got his passport within a week. Yeah, it's when everything, when all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed and the photo is correct. Yeah. It is a very fast procedure. Yeah, it is, yeah. But yeah. That, that's frustrating, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is, yeah. And the yeah. cost side of it. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that had been my advice to Tricia was to go professionally. Like, I know, that's say. when I heard you saying yeah, that. So no. No, yeah, but best not to do that route. No. Actually, then I asked John Paul to get on to the passport office to try and explain to us why, if you get a tick, is the photograph, it seems that it's OK. And then why suddenly when the visual check goes on, it's, it's not OK. And also, you know, what can people do to... Because if you were in a rush for a passport... I know, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I've asked John Paul to go onto the passport office and then he told me there isn't a press office. Normally we can just ring the press office or email the press office. There isn't. No. So he had to talk to one of these computers that would only, yeah. that would only let him use 50, 50 words. And he said he had used less than 50 words and they told him he'd used more than 50 words. So he was, he was pulling his hair out. He doesn't yeah. have a lot of hair, yeah. so he's OK. So he's now telling me he's on to the Department of Foreign Affairs. Because they look after the passport office and uh, they're going to try and uh, come back to us on it. Okay, so yeah, so yeah. We'll, let, we'll let you know how we get on. Yeah, yeah. And are you travelling away anywhere nice? Perhaps? We are, yeah. We're going to go to Spain for a week. Oh, great. Are you, yeah. book, are you booked? Oh, yeah. yeah. When are you off? Um, next week sometime. Oh, yeah. so you were, you had a date in which you needed the passport back? Oh, we did, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. 
But you have it in your grubby little paws now. Yeah, your have, yeah. good. <laughs> Enjoy that trip, okay. British. Thanks a million. Not Thanks a million. Okay, and uh, we'll wait, as I say, we will wait to try and hear back from the, we're now on to the foreign affairs because there's just no point trying to get through to the passport office. And obviously if we are, we're not getting through, there isn't a press office, I can imagine how uh, other people are feeling as they are um, trying to get through uh, as well. 0818 still getting calls and texts in about Tom's house. Poor old Tom wanting it painted a certain colour. Ed wants to know if Tom's house was originally painted white and he was offered the house, would he have refused it because it was painted white? Uh, no, I don't. He, he see what? Yeah, okay. I know. I know what you're a bit tongue in cheek with that, um, Ed. Um, it's not that he's against houses being painted white. He just liked the original colour that it was. His issue with it being painted white and every other house being painted white, he feels that slightly discrimination. He's, it feels it's it's discrimination in that people will be able to identify who's a council house and and who isn't. But I I. What's wrong with identifying who's a councillor? People live in council houses and they pay their rent and they're entitled uh, to live uh, in those houses. So, But anyway, he feels he'd be... It's discrimination that all the houses are being painted the same colour. And we're still waiting for Cork County Council to get back to us. 0818 103 103. But no, I haven't heard of anyone else who went out and painted their houses themselves. People are asking that. Did anybody go out and actually paint their house and did the, did the council allow them to do it? We're still waiting to get clarity uh, on... Uh, that um, Hi, this is Mike in, in Bantry. says, hi Patricia, when I got my passport taken in the bus stop in Cork City, the woman behind the counter said, I don't leave them smile. I don't, sorry, I'm, I'm You'll have to send that back again, uh, Mike. That's not exactly uh, making sense. Now, and just very quickly, can I just say how saddened I was to hear because I'd mentioned this story last week on the programme and it offered and it actually offered up a prayer in the hope that this would get sorted and unfortunately it didn't. It was the woman with cervical cancer whose lawyers were before the High Court last week pleading with the HSE and the labs that she'd taken a case uh, against and this was over misreporting her smear slides. They had pleaded with the HSE to settle the case because she was very near um, very near death and unfortunately she has uh, passed away and the, it was mentioned yesterday at the High Court Justice Paul Coffey was told that the 59 year old woman who cannot be identified died at the weekend and part of her case has now unfortunately died with her as the HSC and the labs involved refused a plea uh, in the woman's last days of her life to have her right to general damages preserved after her death if her action was successful. Her lawyers had been in the High Court last week pleading with the HSE and the labs involved to settle the case and make what they called a humanitarian request to just to give an assurance that the woman's right to general damages if her side went on to win. They weren't asking for a win straight away. They were saying let the case proceed. But if she passed away, that her right to general damages would be preserved after her death. And because the woman's case, it wasn't due before the High Court until next month. And obviously her doctors realised she wasn't going to make it until next month. And unfortunately, uh, last Friday, the, the claims to the HSE and to the laboratories were uh, denied. And actually last week, Judge Coffey spoke to the parties and he said, look, you're at the edge of what law can do uh, here. And he said, now it's a case where common decency and honour 
becomes uh, involved. It was back in the court yesterday. Counsel for the woman and her family um, The uh, said uh, mediation talks took place again last Friday, but unfortunately it didn't resolve the case and the woman then died over the weekend. He said the case was due to go ahead on the 5th of July and he was now asking the court to now vacate that date as the proceedings will have to be reconstituted and the action now will have to be brought by the woman's grieving husband. Counsel said that the HSE and the labs had been asked to preserve the woman's right to general damages after her death but unfortunately that was refused. Justice Paul Coffey who adjourned the case yesterday said he was very very saddened to hear of the woman's death and went on to pass on his deepest sympathy to the husband and the family. So, yeah, and that's what we do as well. As I say, I don't know where this woman is. I don't know what part of the country. Um, she could be one of ours here in uh, Cork. Uh, nobody knows. But all we can do is pass on our deepest, deepest sympathies to the husband and uh, to the family. And I'm really, really saddened that that case wasn't settled, that she could have gone to her grave knowing that it was settled and knowing that her husband and family would have at least been looked after. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, Peter Dowdell, thearchgarden.com, uh, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? Is it warm enough for you? <laughs> it is really gorgeous, isn't it? It's the best weather to be a gardener. Ah, uh, it's great. Do we, uh, do, now, we're not on hosepipe bands yet. Do we need to be keeping an eye on the gardens and on shrubs and plants, etc., because it's so warm and <coughs> humid weather? We're not getting the rain that they're forecasting. No, I don't know. I was only talking to somebody about it earlier today. I don't know when last we got meaningful rain, if you know what I mean. No, we got uh, some rain here and there over some of the nights recently, but nothing, nothing meaningful. Um, and the answer to your question is yes, particularly if it's a if it's a new garden or any elements of the garden are new. And what I mean by that is that they've been planted in the last twelve months. Uh, even in my own garden, I see some things that I moved over the winter and that, and that you know some of them are are suffering badly. And I would think I would look that the plants in gardens that I'm working on and in my own garden, like plants that were planted or moved, let's say last October, November, are under stress, but they're going to be okay. But ones that were moved after Christmas, if you like, in January, February, they're under serious stress. And even with water pour- being poured on them, you, you know, it's fingers crossed uh, territory. But um, but um, I think everything will be okay. But it's just it is a question of of just you do they will need attention and they will need water. And I think going forward, <clears throat> you know, these these warm and dry spells, everybody has been telling us they're to be expected to to increase in in duration and in in extreme so we're going to have these periods going forward so we need uh, in the garden we need to we need to expect them and by add, by improving the soil and by adding mulches and that to the soil we will make the plants more resilient and less need for watering. So it, it, it's something we're going to all have to, to be cognizant of going forward. And hanging baskets, they'll dry out very quickly in this kind of weather. Anything like in pots and containers, yeah. hanging baskets, window boxes, plant pots, they'll dry out in front of your eyes, Trish. They're being yeah. baked, literally. Yeah, OK, let's get straight into questions. We sent you on a picture from a listener who wants to know, what should I do with this rose? And it, it looks like a rose up against uh, a wall. It, yes, it is. And uh, I was looking at it earlier and it, it looks it looks a bit shook, like it does have some holes in it and that, which I it's from probably aphid damage from little green fryer stuff uh, and maybe even some caterpillars. Um, though I don't see on the photograph, I can't see any insects. But 
I would say in the first instance, prune off kind of a, a lot of those leaves that are infected and hope for the best. And uh, I've talked many times in your program, Trish, about using garlic as a preventative, a garlic wash where you, if you, the, the best thing to do is Google it. But it, basically what you're doing is you're, you're pulping some, Google it for the recipe, if you like. But basically what you're doing is you're, you're, um, you're creating a, you're pulping garlic. You're, you're, you're putting it in with boiling water, letting it sit for a night or two. Uh, and then you're you're diluting the resulting water uh, and spraying that onto the rose bush. And if you do that, it works great, and not just on roses, but on all plants as a preventative. It has antifungal properties too, of course, which because from the garlic, but um, which will help the, to prevent the plant getting black spot and things like that. But it's great at stopping insects attacking it because the garlic makes it unpalatable to plants. It's the old style companion planting where you would plant garlic near crops that were, were prone to getting attacked by aphids and things like this by planting garlic nearby you were protecting them and we've we've a lot to learn from gardening practices mm. of years gone by um so that's probably what i do now in the photographs i don't see probably the most important thing which is the the, the root zone i don't see the soil or the pla- or the area where the plant is going into so from what i can see it's you've a, you've a kind of a concrete paved footpath and I don't know if it's in a pot or if it's in a little hole in the paving or what it is, but roses are quite hungry feeders. And what that means is that the, the better quality the soil, the more nutrients they have access to, the better they're going to do. And that ties in with this because the healthier the plant, the more resistant than it is to disease damage and infection as well. So probably the most important part of it, I'm afraid I can't see, but I would look at improving the the, the, the conditions around the, the, the base of the plant as well, certainly. OK, somebody has to stay on roses. Uh, a rose that has been in the same place for the last 10 years, uh, somebody needs to move it. When is the best time to move it? Uh, I was talking to somebody else about this just earlier today as well, in oh. fact. And the best time to move it and any plant, really, certainly don't dream of doing it at the moment. You, it'll just die in front of your eyes. Uh, it's kind of November time. November to February would be your window of opportunity there when the plant is dormant, when it's fast asleep. So it can it can, it can, can repair the damage caused during the move before it starts growing again in the spring. So wait, wait till it's, it's winter time. Are they easy to move? Roses will transplant pretty successfully, yeah, pretty easy. They're they're basically one long taproot system, and um, provided you can get enough of that as possible, yeah. or as much of it as possible, then it'll move. It should move easily enough, yeah. Okay, Tom or Tim, in your apologies, Tim uh, has a very large lawn, and he is out cutting it every few days because of the huge amount of daisies growing. Tom says, "Is there a chemical you could recommend to get rid of this problem?" Oh, Tom, leave the daisies alone. <laughs> You're not going to recommend a chemical. I can nearly te- tell him now. Well, I'm certainly not. And like, I don't know how long we're doing this piece in your program, Trish, but if you remember way back when, uh, and th- these kind of questions would come up, and I'd, I'd nearly sheepishly and, and tongue-in-cheek say, well, we could learn to love the daisies, but but now I'm not not, not, not scared to shout it anymore because obviously it's, it, it's mainstream and we're all being encouraged at long last to learn to love the, nazi- the, the daisies, Tim. It's like we have gone beyond, we have gone many years beyond... Uh, it being acceptable to use chemicals on the lawn and pour weed killer onto the lawn to kill a few daisies, considering the damage that it is doing to everything else in the garden. So, no, I'm not going to recommend the chemical. I am going to recommend Love the Daisies. And once you do get your head around it, they actually really do look beautiful. They do. If you can't, if you can't get your head around it and you want just pure grass, and that's fine too, um, 
I'm afraid it's a question of hand reading. Get out there, do it by hand. Now, it, it may not mean going out with a trowel and removing every daisy. You could remove it with shovels and spades and just reseed it if you really want to get rid of them. But but honestly, I would say just just see the beauty in them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Maura says, uh, why have my baskets of petunias, why are they feeling so sticky? They're healthy and they're thriving, but they're feeling sticky. Uh, anything you could recommend? It's most likely a, a honeydew secretion, which is from aphids. So aphids will will get onto them. You know, they may, aphids may not have done that much damage, but they they can leave off this honeydew secretion as they're leaving off their young. Uh, I wouldn't be overly concerned about it. I wouldn't be overly worried. I would prune off maybe some of the leaves and some of the stems that are the stickiest. Um, because it, it can weaken the plant as they feed on it and fungal infection can also stick to that honeydew secretion. So maybe no harm to give it a bit of a pruning, but I wouldn't be overly worried about it. Keep them well watered and well fed to keep the plant strong in the first place. Keep deadheading them and I think they should be okay. Okay, it's all about stickiness today because Brenda has a problem with her bamboo uh, trees. They, some of the leaves have a sticky feel to them. It's, that would be new to me with bamboos. I haven't seen it before on bamboo, but it's more than likely I w- I'm going to guess the the same problem. It's it's an aphid, aphid. or some yeah. insect. Uh, they do leave off this honeydew as they're as they're laying eggs. Um, I imagine that's what it is. Again, because it's a bamboo, I wouldn't be worried about it in the least. It'll be tough enough. Okay, Pat in, uh, in Dunmanway uh, says, I've put aside what was a magnificent tub of red tulips. Should I water? No, and he's, uh, Pat sent on a picture. They've dug up all the tulip bulbs. Do I water them on and off or do I just leave them? Is it better to place the tub in the shade until next spring? So the, the bulbs are still in the tub, Trish, in the soil, is it? Yeah, no, they're out of the soil. It's just like it's a big okay, container so full of them. They're, okay, I'm with them. I'm, okay, no, don't water them at all. Keep them bone. That's the last thing you want to do, in fact. You want to keep them bone dry now during the summer months. So somewhere kind of like a garden shed or a garage, somewhere cool uh, and dry. Um, and that's all you need to do. Do nothing. Keep them dark, cool and dry uh, until I wouldn't plant tulip bulbs out till relatively late from November. I know you'll see them in the autumn. You'll see them coming up in shops around August, September. But better to plant tulips later. So November, December is when I would plant them out again. And in Formoy is now a good time to spray a new crop of potatoes with bluestone solution. Uh, keep an eye on bluestone is something that should be used sparingly so really only kind of once or maximum twice in, in a year so I would say keep an eye on blight warnings from, from Met Aaron. Uh, I would say it's too early she says a new crop of potato I'm, I'm wondering does she mean a crop of new potatoes I guess she does the first earlies which I wouldn't be I wouldn't treat them at all with bluestone because you should be harvesting them before there's a risk of, of, of blight I don't think there'll be a risk of blight yet and I, I could stand corrected, of course. Um, but I would say if it's new potatoes, I would say if there is any sign of blight, then just lift them and lift them and, and harvest them. Yeah. Hi, Peter. Is it OK to feed roses with tomato food? And how do you stop moss growing up through flowers? The Yes, it is perfect to feed any flowering plant, roses included, with tomato food, because tomato food is it's very high in potassium and high in phosphorus. So that's the two, two nutrients needed to promote flowers and plants. So, yes, roses will benefit from that, from tomato food, but probably better in, with roses to give them a specific rose food. However, uh, tomato food will be fine. To, the moss growing through flowers, I'm, I'm assuming that they mean uh, she means on the soil. Uh, of the plant, or does she mean mm. on the stems? I yeah, wonder. Yeah, I'd say in the soil. I'd say it is. So, so moss will colonize colonize any kind of area of soil or stone or anything that where it's not being cultivated, where not being dug over. Uh, it's not doing any harm, of course. Um, 
so it, if you, but if you want to get rid of it, the best thing to do is just work the soil. So that means if you get down on your hands and knees, if you want, with a hand trowel or, or a shovel, depending on the size of the area. Uh, but also there's a great little tool that I can't for the life of me remember what they're called. I think they're just called little mini culti weeder, culti weeders or cultivators. They're little three-pronged things, like in the, kind of nearly in the shape of a claw that you attach. You can either use it as a hand tool or you can attach it to a pole so you can do it from standing and, and just run that through the soil. It's, it's, I use that. It's a kind of invaluable tool. I just breaking up the soil break up the soil surface so it removes any little annual weeds or moss and things like that. Uh, that's probably what I would look at doing. But on saying that, the moss itself isn't doing any harm, so I wouldn't be too worried about it. Okay, all right. And I know this is a very busy time of the year for you. Are you involved in the fundraiser for Foot or you want to give a mention to... Oh, not for photo, no, for Marymount. Not for, not for photo, actually, no, for Marymount, for the hospice. There's a, there's an open garden this weekend. I know there was a couple last weekend, and I think they were very well attended. The good weather, of course, is bringing everybody out, and it's a great cause. And it's a lovely way to fundraise is visiting an open garden because you get to see so much, and, and you're, you're, you're donating to a good cause. And, of course, the people who are brave enough, I always think, brave enough to expose their, their gardens, warts and all, to, to, to criticism and, and to acclaim, uh, should be well supported. And this weekend's one, it's it's Mike and B. Fitzgerald. It's down in Crosshaven. It's from Marymount Hospice. It's open this Sunday, June the 18th at 11 o'clock. I've been to this garden several times. It's a, it's a gem. It's a real treat. Get down there. Enjoy it. The address is the old rectory, Temple Breedy Gardens. It's near Fennels Bay in Crosshaven. Uh, I'll put it up on my own social media over the next couple of days on, on Facebook and Instagram. So you'll see the details. I'm sure if you Google the hospice website, Open Gardens, you'll find the details as well. But this is one to go to this Sunday, June the 18th in Crosshaven. And good luck to them because it is a really brave thing to do for, for sure to put your garden on show. Listen, Peter, have a lovely weekend. We'll chat next Wednesday. And you. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for that. Bye-bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdle at the IrishGardener.com. And just a quick couple of texts on Tom painting his house. Deirdre from Oi says, Patricia, I just got my house painted. It cost me €1,500 Euro, and that wasn't including paint. So if the council offered to paint my house whatever colour they wanted, I would have grabbed it. Um, maybe if Tom had to pay for it, he might appreciate it more. That's from Deirdre in from Oi. And then somebody else says, yes, you are allowed to paint your own house in a council house but you do have to provide and paint your house yourself. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie